like to invite you uh, now to turn in your Bibles to First uh, John, First John chapter four. So uh, we will be taking a short break this morning from our series through uh, the book of Philippians. Lord willing, uh, we'll return to that uh, next week. Um, this morning and tonight, of course, we will focus on uh, the wonderful uh, gift that has been given to us from God, the giving of His own Son, who took on human flesh in order that he might die in that flesh for his people. And so this morning we will look at 1 John chapter 4 as we consider the incarnation of our Lord. And we will consider verses 7 through 10. So 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, as the rain comes down and causes grass to grow and flowers to sprout, we are reminded of the way in which your word comes down to your people and does not return to you void. We pray, Father, that you would fill our hearts with love for our Savior, the Son of Righteousness, who came and became man and lived a life and died on our behalf. We pray, Father, that you would set our eyes upon him. Lead us to him, to Jesus who reigns at your right hand in heaven. Father, encourage us in him. Build us up in your son, Jesus Christ, the gospel. May your gospel not return to you void, but Lord, may it find fertile soil on which to bear fruit. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, this is the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. It was appropriate here, if you're familiar with uh, the book of 1 John, it's appropriate here that John enters into a lesson on love, considering that he had just alerted his readers to the presence of false teachers, antichrists, as he called them in the church. The believers were to be on guard against their their teaching. And this is true for every age, every generation of believers. We are always called to be on guard against wolves in sheep's clothing, against antichrist figures. John wanted to make clear to this congregation, he wanted to make clear that in the life of the congregation, which was prone to attacks from within and from without, that in the midst of having to be on guard, alert against false teaching in the world, false teaching that can creep in uh, to the church, we are not to forget the new commandment that Jesus gave that we had from the beginning. That's, That's the language that Uh, John uses in this letter and in his gospel. And what is that commandment? That we love one another. We should never forget this commandment. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we might be going through as a church, as families in Christ, 
We must never forget this call to love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. For a group of Christians here, uh, to which John was writing, this group of Christians who had been deceived by the presence of false teachers, they were Gnostic heretics who condoned sin, they denied Christ, they ultimately left the fellowship of the church, is what John says, they went out from us so it might become clear that they were never truly part of us to begin with. For this congregation, having dealt with this and now having hearing, uh, having to hear from their leaders that there are false prophets, antichrist figures in the world, it was possible that undue suspicions could arise and that unloving responses to sin in the church or unloving responses to just about anything could result from this negative, overall negative atmosphere, from this fearing anxiety that was perhaps present within the church. And so John wants to curb that possibility. He reminds the church here, let us love one another. Now John later instructs us here is to pray for those that they see committing sin that does not lead to death. And he says, pray for one another. And uh, we know that praying for one another is certainly a way that we love one another. That's an expression of our love for each other when we pray for one another. And so you have these commandments in the New Testament over and over again to continually pray. And John says in, here in this letter in First John that we are to pray for one another. Continually to pray for one another. It's an expression of our love for each other. Christ himself is continually praying for us because he loves us. And the Father loves us and so he answers those prayers for the sake of his Son. And so we are to pray for one another. We are also told elsewhere to restore a person caught in sin with the spirit of gentleness. We're also told not to judge, lest we be judged in the same way that we judge. Jesus also told his disciples that they were being sent out as sheep among wolves, and therefore they were to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And so you can see the, the balancing act there within this church uh, that, that was happening. There were wolves among them, but they had to keep hold of their gentleness. Keep hold of their innocence. There's a very strong temptation in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficult persecution, to respond to persecution with the same type of vindictiveness, the same type of harshness. You punch me, I'm going to punch you back twice as hard. That's not the Christian ethic, actually. And that is not what John wanted the church uh, to do. No, we are to maintain our love for one another, maintain our innocence. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. We, by God's grace, therefore, are to love one another, while at the same time, we are to be wise, discerning in Jesus Christ. Now, this, this, this type of discerning and thoughtful love, John tells us, is impossible to exhibit apart from the grace of God. And it's impossible to be born of God and truly know God and not love, for love is from God. So it's impossible to love apart from knowing God, and it's impossible to know God and not love. That's basically what John is saying here. So the clear command is that we are to love one another. And the ground that he gives here for this command is that love is from God. 
Those who have been born of God are known to have been born from above. This is the language of the scripture. When we are converted, when we are born again, that's the language of of the Holy Scripture in, in reference to the way in which our hearts are renewed by the Holy Spirit. We are given a heart of flesh. The heart of stone is taken out. We are given a heart of flesh to believe in the gospel and to begin to love Jesus and his people. And so we are born from above. We are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. To be born of God means that God's seed abides in us. We are his children. He has implanted a renewing and resurrecting principle of love within our inner being, within the very center of our being. That is who we are now. We love when we didn't love. That is what happens as a result of being born again, born again or born, being born of God, as John says here. This is what takes place for those who have believed in the gospel of Christ. John says here that to be born of God means that we know God. One cannot be born of God and not have saving knowledge of God. They virtually equal each other. To become a child of God means that you now know God as your father. Now this knowledge that John speaks of is different than the knowledge of God that all people have. Even unbelievers have some knowledge of God. All men, without exception, have a, no- have a knowledge of God that leaves them without excuse. They know he exists. They know he deserves worship. And yet, in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They know that he is owed worship, yet because of their sin because of the hardness of their heart they give that worship to something else they give that worship to the idols of their hearts they give that worship to the created things in the world but make no mistake friends all people know God everyone knows God and they will be accountable to him at the end of the age You walk outside, you clearly perceive his divine power and his divine nature in the things that have been made. Now, how you spin that, how you interpret that is a whole other matter in your sin. But make no mistake, friends, all men know God. All men know God, and yet they suppress the truth of the knowledge of God. Therefore, it's not saving knowledge that all men have. But the knowledge that John speaks of here is saving knowledge of God. That is what you and I as Christians have as a a result of being born again by the Holy Spirit. This is saving knowledge of God. Knowledge of God and of the Son that comes only by way of the Spirit. The Spirit gives you this knowledge of God. The Spirit gives you the truth. He is called the Spirit of truth. And so you now know the truth. There is only one truth. And Christians know the truth, and you know God as your Father now, when before you only knew him as your judge. So this is the kind of knowledge that John speaks of here. We know God as our Father, as the one who loves us and who sent his Son to die for us. The one who knows God in this way has been born of God, and it is necessarily the case that this one will love Because love is from God, and indeed, God is love. You know God now by faith 
the God who is love, and therefore you must love. You will love. True love is from God. And John can say it in this way. Love is from God because there is only one love. If God is love, then any display of love, no matter how small, and no matter any display of true love, no matter how small and no matter in what way it is shown, has its origin in God. Now, what is love? Well, love, as it is given to us in the Bible, can be defined as self-communication of one to another for the benefit of the other. Self-communication of one to the other for the benefit of the other. Now, of course, our biblical definition, definition of love that we're trying to get at here probably won't answer all the questions that we have in our minds, but we can get at the truth from Holy Scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not rude. There are also different degrees of love. For Christ said that there is no greater love than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friend. There is not a greater giving, a greater self-communication of oneself for the benefit of the other than to give your very life for that person. Jesus says there is no greater love. That's the greatest expression of love. To give yourself over to a person for the sake of that person. God is love, John tells us. We are told elsewhere by John that God is spirit. And that in this letter, he has already said in this particular letter, in 1 John, that God is light. Now these are all attributes of God that are given to us in Scripture that reveal to us something of what God is like. What is God? What is He? That question has been asked, and it's been answered by Scripture, and it's been answered by our spiritual fathers and our catechisms and confession. God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, and so on. He is most merciful, most gracious. He is abundant in goodness and truth. God is love. God is spirit. God is light. This is who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All the attributes that we can say of the Father can be applied to the Son with equal Because they share power and glory. They're equal in power and glory. This is who God is. John says that God is love here. Love then would be included within the, under the rubric, if you will, of God's goodness. It's an expression of God's infinite goodness. But it's also part of his glory as God. And so John says that God is love. Love is part of the expression of God's goodness. And God is perfectly loving. He does not participate in something outside of himself that's called love. There's not a thing out there that we can label love and then we participate in that. That would be to depersonalize the idea of love. That's what the world does. It's a thing. It's something out there. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. Whatever you have. In other words, we cannot say that love is God. Rather, God is love. The way we are to understand this profound teaching from John is that love is something that God communicates to us by his spirit. And it's an activity in which we participate as reflectors of his image. We love because he loved us. We love because God is love. And what we need to understand then is that love is not a thing. 
It is not something. It's not a thing. It is in essence personal. It's in essence a person. God is love. God is personal. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, love is a person. It is personal. Impersonal objects are not patient and kind. Impersonal objects are not self-sacrificing. Rational people are. People made in the image of God are. Eternal love has existed within the Godhead from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally delighting in one another, enjoying one another in perfect bliss as God, for God is love. Jesus refers to this love in uh, his prayer to the Father in John 17. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. God is love. But this heavenly love that existed before the foundation of the world, it has come down to us. It has made itself known to us by God's Spirit when he caused us to love. We are born of God who is love. We know God who is love and therefore we must love. And so John instructs us to love one another. This is who we are. Beloved, let us love one another. For We have been born of God. God is love. You are children of the God who is love, and therefore we must love. Now, the converse side of this reality is that whoever does not love has not been born of God and does not know God, does not have saving knowledge of God. Now, John cannot be more strict in this teaching. God is love. Love is from God. Therefore, It is a concrete impossibility for the one who does not have love and does not exhibit that love to the brothers to believe that he has been born of God. It's impossible. John says so in this letter. Our love for one another is but a faint image of that perfectly heavenly love of God. His love is eternal. It's unchangeable. It's simple. It's free. His love reaches to the heavens. But again, that love has come to us. It's come down from heaven. It's made itself known within us by His Spirit, by causing us to be born of God who is love. And it causes us, that is the Spirit, He causes us to love. And so it's made known. We see it. We experience it. We feel it among one another when we love each other. To put it another way, we cannot enter into fellowship with God through Christ without the net result being that we love each other. Whoever doesn't love has not experienced this transforming relationship with God who is love. John says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now here we see that this attribute of God's love has made itself visible in the world. It was made manifest among us. That is to say, we can see it. People could see it with their eyes. It was made manifest among us, among human beings. Now remember that the love we exhibit to one another in Christ is for the sake of Christ. It's but an image of God's love. It's but a faint reflection of the love of God, which is perfect, and of the nature of God, who is love. We see it. Again, we experience it, but it's a faint reflection of of who God is. Now the kind of love that is manifested between us has various forms and modes. 
It can be expressed with words, with true words, sincere words that build one another up. Or it can be expressed in the way in which we provide for another's needs. When we see a brother or sister who is lacking in the world's goods and we have those goods and we meet that brother or sister's needs, that is an expression of the love of God towards the saints. In fact, John gives us, but, and so these are expressions of God's love, but the love that has come from God, that's the, the way in which God expresses, or we express God's love to one another, and it makes itself, makes itself known. But John gives us here the supreme example of God's love. In fact, he gives us the very essence of what love is. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But first, John says that this love was revealed among us by the sending of his son. Now, the fact that the son was sent here implies the pre-existence of the son. It implies that father and son are one in will and that the son was willing to be sent and that the father was willing to send the son. And so this is the eternal son who's sent into the world to be rejected by the world, to be hated by the world so that we might live through him. With the arrival of the son into history, we are given visible evidence of the love of God that the love Visible evidence of the love that God has for his people. It's made manifest. And that visible manifestation of the love of God for his people influences the entire world. Indeed, our entire time structure is built around the coming of Christ into history, even though the unbelieving world wants to push back against the way in which We mark our days. We mark our years. And so this coming into history of God's love, the the visible manifestation of God's love, it influences every single person in the world, every single person who has ever lived, will be touched by the Christmas story. It has universal significance, one way or another. The love of God was made manifest among us. John, in his gospel, tells us that the word who was with God in eternity and was God became flesh. He tabernacled among us. He dwelled among us. The whole world must reckon with this fact, whether they like it or not. It influences us in one way or another. And the reason that he came was so that we might live through him. His infinite loving mercy is put on display with the arrival of his son because he lifts up his people from the ash heap. He gives us new life. But where does this love begin? Well, we are told in Scripture that, again, it began in eternity. God is love. God is eternal. That love began in eternity where there were no beginnings. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And so the first expression of God's love for us is that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. John says this love was manifest among us. We cannot possibly know the love of God except that he take the initiative and he reveal his love to us. As we hear the words of scripture describe for us the coming of Christ into the world and for those who actually witnessed with their eyes Jesus Christ come in the flesh 
like John did, we see that the love that God had for us in eternity make itself known. Do you want to know if God loves you? Do you want to wonder and think about how God loves you? Think about the Christmas story, the taking on of human flesh of the Son of God into the world, the love of God made manifest among us. That is how much God loves you. He sent his only son into the world for you. Now, how can it be that a God who has loved us from eternity, how can it be, though, that maybe for history we are under his wrath, like the Apostle Paul was? Remember, Paul was not converted until the moment he came into contact with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Paul... At that time, think of, this is Paul, who around the time that God sent his son into the world was still under God's wrath, and yet he was chosen in love before the foundation of the world. Well, that love eventually came to him in history by the power of the Spirit, by the revelation of the resurrected Christ on the Damascus Road. That love enters into our history when we believe, when we are born of God. That is where it takes place for us, that it, where it begins for us. And yet, that love began in eternity. That love began with the God who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world when we did not love him, when we were not seeking him. Now, this Jesus is not just any other person, and we were in need of not just any kind of death. This Jesus who was sent into the world. The love of God was made manifest among us when God sent his only begotten son in order that we might live through him. Now it's true that based upon what scripture teaches, it's proper to say that the son is eternally begotten of the father. But I don't think that is exactly what John has in view here. I think what John has in view is that Jesus is God's only begotten Son in the sense that He is His one and only Son, His unique Son, like Isaac was Abraham's unique Son, the one and only Son as He is described in the book of Hebrews. How much more precious in the sight of God is there a gift than to give His only Son, His only begotten Son? That is what He gave to you to give you life. Isaac was the only precious son of Abraham, but Jesus is the son in the highest sense of the term. He is God's only son, his only begotten son. He is the son of God in an eternal sense. God gives good gifts to all of us, but the greatest gift that he has given is his son, his one and only son, who is the exact imprint of his nature. One theologian said it this way, uh, writing in the 17th century, he said, he could have given nothing more excellent, nothing dearer, if even he had given the whole universe. He gave not things, not the world, though he has given us the world. He gave his only son. And not only this, but the nature of God's love for us is revealed in the uniqueness, is not only revealed in the uniqueness of the one he gave, but in, in the purpose for which he was sent, that we might live through him. Undeserving people who were not seeking him, who are born not loving him, were sent or were given the sending of the Son so that we might live through him. This is what John says. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John called his listeners to love one another. And the reason that he gave was that love is from God. Love does not originate within us. We are incapable of it. Incapable of it. We are born in this world not loving, but when we are born of God, we begin to love. And therefore, the glory of God's love has been shown to us, has been revealed to us in the sending of his Son, and we experience it in the love that we show to one another. He first loved us, therefore we should love one another. We, though we were undeserving of any good thing from God, not even life or breath, because we sinned against him, he has given us the greatest gift he could have given, the giving of his only begotten son, the unique son of God, of whom there is only one, and of whom there is none greater or higher or more precious in the sight of God. He gave that son, his only begotten son, to us. Now, this definition of love should have given John's hearers a better understanding of what really was being said when he addressed them as beloved. And it should, be given, it should give us, too, a clearer and deeper understanding of what this means to be truly loved by God. But again, we need to look at the reason why the Son was sent and what he is referred to as in this verse. He sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We had sinned against God. We were not deserving of any good thing. We were not seeking him. We were not loving him. In fact, not only did we not deserve to know him, to have him as our father, in fact, we deserve and had earned his wrath. So we would deserve something else altogether that we could not purchase, we could not we could not earn on our own. We deserved his wrath. And yet, what did he give to us? He gave his son to absorb that wrath on the cross. To be a propitiation, a sacrifice, a substitute in our place. His unique son, whom he loved in eternity, he gave to you to die in history for our sins. That is love. Because God is love. It could be no other way. If you think about it, it could be no other way other than that he sent his unique son, his only begotten son, into the world to be a propitiation for our sins. That is love. Because God is love. And friends, because we have been born of that God, this God, We love, and we must love. We are called to love, and therefore, let us love. When we think about the love that came down from heaven to us and made itself known before us on the cross, there is then no excuse on our part that those who have been loved by God in his one and only Son to not love, to not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather, we will love. We are called to love. And so, brothers and sisters, we should love one another, for love is from God And God is love. Let's pray together, friends.